Happy Thanksgiving, theater lovers. Welcome to Sarnia Famous. So exciting. We have our first official logo. The lovely and talented local artist Molly Buchanan designed this logo for me, and it's even better than I could have imagined. If you dig her art, you can find her on Instagram. Today's guest is Mr. Richard Teske, and he explains how the 90s brain drain Oklahoma and Adair launched his theater career in high school. Richard is eloquent, diplomatic, and so passionate about theater, I ran out of data on my computer while recording. Thankfully, Richard has agreed to come back one day and do a part two interview, and I can't wait. Oh, before we get started, I wanted to thank my adorable hubbykins for leaving our first text review on iTunes. Hey, maybe you'll follow suit and let me know what you think, too. I'd love to hear from you. Okay, on with the show. Okay, here we go. Okay, sure. So, welcome, Mr. Richard Teske, to Sarnia Famous. Thank Yay! you. It's great to be here. <laughs> so happy you could join me. Basically, all I want to do is give you a chance to tell me all of your stories, and I will just sit here and listen to all of your glorious tales of theater. Um, wow. <laughs> no pressure. No pressure no. at all. <laughs> Not at all, not at all. I have a few kind of loose questions here and there, but mostly I'll just let you talk and I might interrupt with a question or two here and there, but chillax little scenario. So we know each other from The Wizard of Oz. That's right. Um, you were the, the cowardly lion. Was. <laughs> and we didn't get a lot of time to work together necessarily because my part was very roll in, say my couple of lines and roll out. Right. So this is a kind of a nice little opportunity to get to know you as well. So if you wouldn't mind taking me through your history with Theater Sarnia. Okay, sure. Yeah, that, that goes back a little ways for sure. Uh, I don't even know if I can recall the dates because my theater journey has been a very diverse one. I've been able to be in a lot of different community groups and different areas based on where I was positioned with my work. So some of the performances I did with schools and things took me into the Chatham area. So being part of Theatre Kent indirectly because a lot of their volunteers helped with school programming and school theater. And originally my start was in Petrolia because that's where I grew up. I had the lead in the high school musical. I was Oklahoma, or I was, was in Oklahoma. I was in Oklahoma, <laughs> but I was Curly McLean. So the, the lead male role in Oklahoma, and uh, that in and of itself has its own story. But from that journey, I kind of realized that theater was maybe something I could do. And uh, a bit unexpected because being in high school, there's different feelings towards, you know, what it means to be more artistic and all of that. And so that journey of just kind of being able to feel safe and it's it's something I can do and don't have to take flack from everyone. So I actually went into the audition on a dare because someone said, you can get that part. Then actually it was an interesting dynamic. The person that had dared me was a person who was moving out of the area to Oklahoma, ironically, because of the brain drain. I think that was a term they used when a lot of our doctors and nurses and medical oh. personnel in the 90s were kind of encouraged with lots of great contracts and opportunities and positions to move to the U.S. and take on incredible roles. And so that was what happened with her family. And they moved. And I said, well, if you're moving, this is our last year. If you come back at the end of the year to watch the show, I'll try out. And if I get the lead, I should have said, then you have to come back. Right. So that was the thing, because she's like, you should try out. And I'm like, yeah, I don't know. 
And then I said, if I get the lead, and it was just like the last day of auditions, the announcement came over the PA during lunch hour, this is your final chance. And so that's what triggered this quick conversation. Wow. That if I get the lead, you have to come back. And she kind of was like, sure, I'll come back, whatever. Okay. <laughs> um, yeah, because I think she kind of was like, I don't know that you can act. I'd never done anything like that that others were aware of and feeling pretty confident I could sing. So I went down and auditioned. And by the end of the day, they were announcing over the PA who the cast was. And I was walking through the hall and actually happened to kind of pass about the same time as they announced my name. And I said, you have to come back. You have to come back. And she's like... Um, <laughs> so yeah, it was just kind of an interesting story, but a little bit safer way for me to go into theater and just say, well, that was just, it was a whim or whatever, but yeah. certainly there was an interest there, right? Mm -hmm. I wouldn't have felt that level of confidence and also feeling a pretty certain sense that maybe I was definitely in within the realm of competition for a role like that, right? Mm -hmm. to, to take that risk. So from there, doors open because being a young man that can sing and do a bit of theater, lots of people kind of ask about, you know, what do you want to do? Or would you come this way? Would you come that way? And so I even had chances to audition professionally early on, which didn't really work with my schedule because I was still going to school and going into college and I wasn't really picking theater as my main role. But from that point, I always wondered, do I want theater as like an actual job and a task? And I did get a few opportunities along the way to have a taste of what professional theater might feel like. And I'm very thankful that it's my hobby mm. because it's interesting, something that helps you to decompress and to just let kind of loose or whatever when that becomes your job mm -hmm. it steals away that outlet so then what is your outlet right because now theater becomes about a little bit more labor you have to get the next contract you might not like the character you might not be as interested in the work it might not even align with some of your feelings and beliefs because theater is expressive and there are times that what you're expressing is an idea that isn't maybe your own it's the author's idea and you have to honor that if you're going to call yourself a professional i don't yeah. know that it's really within your full rights i suppose once you're highly successful maybe you get to say and pick but when you're still starting out you you have to pay the bills and, and it really is it's not supposed to be a stance of social commentary or whatever you're supposed to do the job so that was sort of my journey and along the way lots of people got to know that i was a person who could sing and whatever so my first theater sarnia experience and this is the long way there but you said <laughs> yeah, i, took you to I think right all there. the time the scenic <laughs> route <laughs> because what had happened is they were doing forever plaid as a musical and it was pretty complicated kind of music and required some voice work that was a little bit I guess challenging and there was a number of people who tried out and different dynamics and scheduling and they had a cast that was missing one person and they had tried to fill that position a few times and there was a number of reasons why it didn't pan out so they started to call around to other theater people and there was a call sent to a few of my contacts in Petrolia and they said well you should call Richard and have him come in so I Andrew Mellenby, who was the music director of that show, gave me a call, just kind of cold call. We didn't really know each other well. I kind of knew of him because he was going to school for music, very talented musician, oh. but I didn't know him really in any personal way. And so he was just kind of stabbed in the dark, like, would you come and audition? <laughs> Because he didn't know me, so he wasn't just going to take everyone's word for it. He, and I think there's due process. I should have auditioned. And so he brought me in and auditioned. And I was able to actually, some of the actors I had acted with previously. So when I sat down, I was like, oh, this is interesting, right? I'm not such a stranger. Because Theater Sarnia, to me, at that point, was a group of people I just didn't know as well. And it wasn't the community I was living in at the time. I know that there's feelings in community theaters about who has the connections and all of those things. So I was like, I want to be safe and careful here 
as I joined, but what a great experience. And Megan Hadley was the director of that show. And just, I, I mean, talk about challenge. And I think we were four weeks out of hitting the stage. So I had a lot to learn very, very quickly. Yeah. It was just the dynamic. I, I wore headphones for the next two weeks to catch up because everyone else was on, which made it easy for me to, you know, in four weeks really get there because I just, we weren't dealing with some of those details that you deal with early on that kind of slow the process. They already knew where they were. They knew where their props were or whatever. And so they could just kind of say, you're there. And you're, you know, over time, with just a little bit of muscle memory and we sort of found our way along the journey. So yeah, it was a really awesome experience. Megan Hadley, incredible, incredibly talented director. And then Andrew being pretty new to music directing, but just a really humble, great guy. And so it was easy to fit in. And then only having a cast of four connecting. And that went really well. And I was excited about it. And we actually come back another year, which I think it was one of the very few performances where they brought the actual performance back in, in a different season because there was an opportunity to make some money and different things. And we just wanted to help out. Plus, we loved working together. So we actually remounted it. They shifted the directing role a little bit because I think Megan was like, been there, done that. Yeah, um, moving not on. Not as thank you. And that was totally interesting experience to watch it evolve. But we already had the show down pat. And then we took that show actually into the U.S. because there was another partner community theater in the U.S. that was also interested in being able to do that. So it was a really neat dynamic to be my yeah. first experience. And then we, we got this reprisal role and then we headed to the U.S. And then my next role, which was, I don't know if I want to tell this story kind of just so it doesn't get out of context, but it was another situation where there was a character role that needed to be filled. And that was Into the Woods was, hey, we saw you do what you did. We're kind of in a similar situation because yeah. we've lost a cast member based on tensions and things like that. And I don't want to get into much of that story, but it started to make me feel like, I don't know if I want to be that guy. Yeah. It just kind of gets called in because yeah. here I am again really genuinely auditioning but Dan Sonia had reached out to me and I didn't know Dan really well but he was like hey do you mind considering this and again this is back a few years where finding cast members was a bit more of a challenge just to really locate people because up until that point we weren't doing as many shows so there wasn't that pace of anticipation so people were sort of missing the what is the audition schedule like and it was so very different based on the director that was leading things so now we have some more order there and I think that really has helped to not put us in this situation where we're like scrambling when we lose a cast member for whatever reason. And so, but joining that time, knowing there was tension because I actually knew the actor I was replacing and I gave them a call and said, what do you think about this situation? Yeah, like, are we cool? How are you going to feel this? And there was some dynamics there. And again, I'll just be really, really sensitive to what was people's experiences, but there were some dynamics that had some tension. And so I had to go, okay. But for me, it was about the craft and about bringing something forward because that's how I look at theater is it's a community think of us Dallas when we were putting together Wizard of Oz there were so many learning curves happening all around us like some people had never had an experience with this but they knew how to do performance or they just had an interest and some people were just buzzing with excitement for the first moment they were ever experiencing certain things and we just joined together it was just this really powerful moment right where some of the experience plays over but then some of the innocence or unawareness actually helps to shift the pendulum like build the excitement because there is a moment where acting can lose its edge can lose its joy when you've done it lots right so that balance in community theater you don't really get that balance in professional theater that's true because that's really most people have 
a, a CV. They have a resume. Rarely are you going to work with a brand new person. So you're missing that, you know, looking through the eyes of a child and looking at the world. It's the <laughs> yeah. same thing. I'm not going to say that new actors are children. Not oh, at all, it's but... a childlike wonder for sure. Yeah, that. There's, yeah, just even seeing the dressing rooms and seeing how, how things work and what the pace and the feel and, and sort of some of the secrets or the magic or whatever you want to call yeah. it. And it's not all that secret, but when you've never experienced it, it's like, whoa, I didn't realize that's what that was or that's how that happened. I didn't realize even how deep the stage is, right? Yes. Like yes. we usually have it broke off. And if you walk back there and realize you could park three cars, <laughs> like it's <laughs> yeah. huge, right? And then we fill it all up the set and realize, no, it's not that big at all, right? <laughs> but when it's empty and you're just walking that first time and even the smells and everything. So I just like it makes me smile when you get to walk beside someone who you can see them taking it in. And then it reminds you of I remember that day too, right? Well, I remember what that felt like. But I joined that next cast and it was an all-star cast. When you say Sarnia Famous, these were the people that I did know from their work by being an audience member and watching them. And I thought, what am I gonna do here? Because again, I'm already late to the game. They have all the choreography done, a much more involved show. But and, and seeing these people who were gifted and most of them were directors in their own right and talented people who were like some of them being performers for a while maybe come back to become school teachers or different roles to I think build that stability for families and all of the other choices we make in life you can do the circuit for a while but if you're going to do that forever you do give up a number of things mm -hmm. and I know in our community we've had the luxury of having people who had that circuit but then returned because they had other priorities and then they're just giving that gift back to us so I think sometimes that's why I look at Sarnia as being a little further ahead sometimes in what we have as far as our resources in theater because I as I said I've had diverse experiences so I've gotten to sit in a lot of green rooms and it's interesting when I come back home to my theater Sarnia home I realize and really appreciate wow the resources we have and the availability we have to experiences that can help us all grow and help our performances just look that much more polished and professional it's just a beautiful journey so yeah that next show really challenged me again and put me around people that made me have to toe the highest level with the four guys we could joke and I could feel that comfort but I walked into a cast that was 45 strong and at least 10 of those being top of their game performers and I'm standing there going I'm the imposter I shouldn't be here I know there's tension based on some different dynamics that have happened over you know the last few months and are people upset with me because I've stepped in and what does that say it's like I'm sending all these messages I don't want to send and have no control over them because I don't know these people well yeah. enough but it really after one practice what a great theater starting feeling they were all just yep we're in this together and we're going to get through this and yes there's tension and yes there's some challenges and I think a lot of that again was just how we were letting things be more organic and sometimes that creates feelings right when you don't see the structure and you don't understand the structure then people start to have reactions to like what does that mean and all so that was my second show and that by that point, we, Carissa and, and myself, because Carissa had, had not long after that been asked to be involved in another. So she was in, uh, involved with Steel Magnolias for Theater Sarnia. And then she was asked to go to Petrolia to help them out because they had a similar situation. So we eventually became known as the play savers that you just call oh. the testing. <laughs> We'll just step into whatever roles because the role for us ended up playing in Petrolia was a 62 year old or someone in their 60s, which was, is it Miss Clarie? I, I forget.
forget all the names of those characters in Steel Magnolias, but there's one of the older characters. And so here, she was quite young at the time. I think she did it brilliantly. Like, I was sold watching her go. Like, that's, that's not my life. Like, people after, it was wonderful watching them because she would be out of makeup. And they're like, wait, what, yeah, what role did you play? <laughs> no, you didn't. You did not because she just, you know, but they did a great job with makeup and, and she just picked up on some of the subtleties. Didn't overplay it by any means because that was not at all part of the role. It wasn't to really intentionally be that you were aged. It was just the diversity of this group of women. If you remember Steel Magnolias, all kind of around a salon experience, which of course has every demographic sort of represented. So ironically, she played the role of the Julia Roberts character. And I forget, I can't think of her name. But anyway, the Julia, which, what we tend to know because we think of the movie, mm -hmm. she played that in Theater Sarnia and then played one of the older ladies in Petrolia. So we were known a little bit as the play savers before we really were able to, you know, start to set our own pace of like, okay, next time I think we should be there at the audition point. <laughs> we maybe need to stop sitting back. We weren't doing that intentionally, like waiting for them to, we just weren't on pace and on sync yet because we were starting our own careers and just didn't think of ourselves as having all that space and time. But previous to Theater Sarnia, I had lots of experiences with Petrolia, not just Oklahoma or whatever. I was kind of in that routine and in that cycle. So that was kind of all still my focus too. I wasn't thinking, oh, we should do Sarnia things. And then eventually found our way into the Sarnia area and moved here because it was more convenient with work. Yeah. So it just made it even that much easier to help out with just simple volunteer things, you know, Carissa helping organize the costuming and, and doing costuming as well, but just the bits and pieces that have to be done to keep a community theater moving and rolling. And so now we can feel like we're more than just that step in when the role is needed, we can we can go a little bit more involved in terms of our commitment. But yeah, after that, I, I mean, I'll pause for a moment in case you want to direct me somewhere else, but I could keep telling you the journey. I, I'm but, enjoying this immensely, so please continue. Yeah, well, it's so interesting to me to hear how, how everybody kind of ends up in the same place, but there's so many different paths to that place. Absolutely. It fascinates me. Yeah, yeah for sure. Yeah, and, and having some of those dynamics of these other experiences really give me some different framework and understanding. And by the time I was ready to direct, or they were interested in me directing, because I was already directing, again, with the work that I did in, in Chatham, I, I love using theater as a catalyst for conversation with young people. So I'm a professor of child and youth care. So that's working with young people ages 7 to 24, dealing with mental health, addictions, and all of those more challenging dynamics that a lot of people need support to journey through if they have a young person in their world that's facing some of those challenges. And I teach that now, but for years, that was the job I did. And when I worked for the school board, what I found was if we're just focusing on English and math and things, we, we miss a, a fair bit of opportunity to have other conversations. But when you get into art spaces, and I wouldn't say just performing arts, but I think it works incredibly well, you have this new way to find a discovery that's safe. Hey, what if we do this little monologue? And in my mind thinking this monologue is very relatable to some of the pressures you might feel. I tried not to ever make something that was so directly connected but at least relatable and then just like well, what do you think the character would say and so it becomes this like covert role play experience that we might use in counseling but it's even more safe it seems because we're really just talking about this character theater, yeah. we're not talking about me but of course anytime you and we know this as an actor you bring part of yourself to the character and if you deny that you usually look really fake mm -hmm. right you have to give something that's in you even if it's not something that you always want to expose right some darkness or 
whatever, you have to be like, I know what that anger feels like. Now I have to get comfortable displaying it. Right? It's easier because we don't have to own it. I always love to talk about, even when I do something and talk about the character. I remember one show uh, where I end up telling off one of the other characters. Well, I'm just not a person that likes that kind of, like, I love good conversation. I love debate. But to get to that escalated, minimizing, which happens in our world and we have to represent it on stage. But I don't do well with that, right? So I had to call this other character a bunch of names and use cursives and stuff. And I'm like, okay, that's just not who I am. But yet I know what anger can feel like. You know, I have to start finding and being able to be vulnerable enough to expose what I have to sometimes regulate, right? And, and so what an interesting experience to just get to ventilate something you never tried and really learn about yourself. And so young people are doing that too, right? When I was able to work with them. So that just became a theme for me because it's a love. Even though I was incorporating into my work, there was no requirement. The outcomes of my job were not theater driven. They were about the ability to stabilize emotional distress and things. So it didn't matter how I did it. So as I remember, I was talking about it being a hobby and trying to protect it. I could still protect it because if it got too effortful and made me feel like I now I'm just stressing over the theater and the work, uh, I could step away and just go, oh, I can use another technique. Mm -hmm. It's not the only technique, but it proved incredibly impactful in those early years by getting the young people involved in doing some type of show. So we, with the school that I worked with there, we had done like an Annie Junior version. We actually did Wizard of Oz there as well. And we did three other shows, I think. And they're not coming to mind, but it doesn't matter. Um, we did the one with Captain Hook. And now, isn't that awful that oh, I can't remember Peter a basic? Pan? Yeah, Peter Pan. Thank okay. you. Yeah. I actually ended up supporting uh, and acting with the characters. By that point, I was starting to realize what beautiful relationships you can form when you stand side by side. So directing's great. But when they're going through all that anxiety and, and self-doubt and all of this stuff that happens, right? When we're in the wings, think of all those things that go on emotionally. I should do this. Somebody else, you know what? I'm looking at this character and I know they auditioned and why didn't, oh my goodness, I should just like tell them, you know, and we have all this and it, it sometimes it's like five seconds, but it's yes, the skewer. It but then when you stand beside someone and you feel that pulse beside them too and their nervous energy, you just start to really become connected in a, a way that I don't think you can have that quickly, I guess, in other experiences. I think you can find that on a journey, but I think we as theater, because we put ourselves in this extreme vulnerable moment, we join together and rely on one another faster than you naturally do. That's usually stuff that takes a few years of trust. Um, you know, if you think of a workplace and yes. you're going to trust the person to represent your ideas at a meeting or you sit back and go, I don't want to hand this report to them. I'm going to have to speak to it myself yeah. because I can't take that chance. But over a few years, then you're like, oh yeah, I know that they'll be fine. And But think theater in five months, yeah. we're handing that kind of stuff to each other. I'm trusting you that when I go on stage, you're not going to just look at me and say you failed because you dropped your mind, right? You're yes. going to fill it well, That's a, such a good it, example. Yeah. Right? And so that kind of experience and that energy is mm -hmm. so powerful. And so I thought, I kind of want to be beside them. I want to feel what that's like. So with Peter Pan, Captain Hook was a character, interestingly enough, no one really wanted when they auditioned for. And I thought later, well, this is a free space because I didn't want to take a character from a youth that was energetic and excited about it because it really was about them having the opportunity. And then they were so excited because by that point, I had a lot of theater accolades into some theater competitions. And the young people kind of would know that in the community because it got talked about not just in that one space we were, but if we would go to the theater or whatever, people would hey, Richard, you know, and they'd be asking me questions and how did the show go or whatever. So those relationships were witnessed. And then they'd like have their little whispers in the corner. Of, I think he's kind of famous, right? <laughs> 
but of course, not at all, not in my opinion, which I'll segue quickly to a, a quick story about that, just because that we're on that idea, the humility of an actor. Sometimes, when, you know, you minimize, like, I've done a few shows, but I know people have done way better versions and jobs of the character that I played. And, you know, I don't really always want to own the accolade. And when you say, wow, you know, these kids, you're so amazing. And I had this moment sitting in the Sarnia Theatre green room where one young person who I had interacted with in a number of spaces, not just in theater spaces, but also in some emotional spaces. Um, and I was trying to just, of course, keep those healthy boundaries and whatever. And they didn't really say a whole lot, right? They just kind of spent that time. But later, I had another chance to cross paths with them after their performance was passed. And they reminded me of that moment. We sat together in the green room and, and talked about shows and what theater was all about. And, and But now we had a space where we could really go a little deeper. And the young person said in that moment, he said, when I sat with you and sat in that green room, I knew I had achieved something important, something amazing, because my very first performance I ever seen was you on stage as Daddy Warbuck in Annie, which was a show we did on Theater Sarnia stage. And I knew of one day if I ever got to act with you, that that would be the most, like the coolest thing, because you're like the greatest actor I've ever known. Oh but here's God. the actual humility, because I'm like, oh, me? <laughs> and I minimized it. And you know what happened in that moment, Dallas? It was a life lesson for me, because I minimized it thinking, I don't want him to think, like idolize and take yeah. me beyond, because I'm just a person. And I, I'm not there for the accolade. I'm really there for the enjoyment. And I, again, I know others who could do way better job of these characters than I could, but that's how he saw it. And what, in that moment, thankfully, some of my observation skills kicked in because I saw a young man who just had the big bubble of his dream burst because I minimized what that meant. And I stopped that moment and humbled myself and said, you know what? It was great being on stage with you too. And I remember when I got to act beside one of my idols and I had that journey as well. And I apologize for minimizing it because our idols are our idols. And thank you for letting me be one of yours. Right. So I basically just had to suck it up and say, that's he saw his life and when you steal that when you say but i'm nothing it sounds humble but right. it's actually really deflating right and you could see that it was just like i made him think that no you haven't achieved anything and that's not what my messaging was meant to be at all but i stole from him what he had looked at and it took me in that moment I flashed back because I got to be on stage with an actor named John Wallace who had been in Chariots of Fire and he had had a, an apartment with uh, John Candy in Toronto before John Candy was kind of the John Candy we all knew but they had shared an apartment and he always had stories about what that was like and of course you can imagine some of the tomfoolery and things that went on <laughs> and they had this big white leather couch and he would tell about you know how they pooled all their money to have this like really kind of like Hollywood-esque I was in yeah. Toronto, but they were working. Yeah, they were working actors. They were Second City and, and everywhere they needed to be. And so I got to act beside him in a show one time. And I remember just always feeling like this is crazy or whatever. But it, it meant so much, right? It actually really filled my sense of esteem because he was happy to work with me and always would be generous with the interaction of theater, right? And never never patronized me, offered suggestions from time to time, but didn't, you know, minimize my contribution or make me feel less than. Later, I realized he also, I think, buffered quite a bit and pulled back a little bit so that we could truly be on stage together. But that was hindsight. In the moment, I didn't notice him do that. But I think that's what a, a seasoned actor needs to know how to do. 
is how yeah. do you pace with that person so that you're not over showcasing your, your ability against their new kind of perceptions and understanding of stage. So I flashed back to that moment and thought that meant so much to me. And I idolized this man without him ever knowing I did, you know, and I thought, okay, so you idolized me. I was out of the loop, not realizing what that meant. And if that's your understanding of what is famous or special or important or significant, then I need to accept that definition and I need to move forward. So yeah, when I think of those moments of being able to stand beside young people, that was a good turning point moment of recognizing let that young person tell the story and have the story the way it matters to them. And in time, they'll gain more perspective. I don't have to worry about them. One day they're going to see, a, you know, another show and go, oh, Richard wasn't that good at all. <laughs> they'll figure it out. But I don't need to force that just because of, you know, that acting humility and not wanting to come across as being arrogant or whatever. So yeah, that was kind of a beautiful moment that I got to have with other actors and we would do those performances. And then we started a theater program called Act Two, which was all about engaging young people specifically because of, of a potential. Now we didn't engage them based on absolute need, but a potential of recognizing that being a young person is a risky situation, right? Because you are you have all your peer groups, you have social constructs and all of these things that you're juggling. And it's a lot to regulate. It's a lot to try to find stability within. And we opened Act Two just because we thought when we have young people around us, we can engage and pace with their situations and concerns and crisis and all of the things that they're encountering. And so we had a counseling team that was aware. And in Act Two, I, I mean, I love the model. It doesn't function quite the same as it once did, but we designed it, opened it. We called it a fundraiser to start with because uh, it all worked under rebound. And they initially were like, we don't have the money for this. And, and we said, well, we can generate ticket sales. And so for 10 years, I, I was with them, helping them on that pathway and learning about how we could do this best. And we introduced youth engagement modeling and so many incredible things. And we always had counselors in the wings, so to speak. So, you know, as at rehearsal, a young person might just disappear from the scene. And we all just learned how to pace and flex. And, you know, who can, who can read those lines? Because we all knew now maybe the actors didn't always know because we didn't promote it but as the you know directors and leaders and a lot of times we would call ourselves allies because we have youth directing but i'd sit with them and help them through because they'd be like where's that actor where's that actor and i'm like we'll be fine you know what let's take one of our extras and put them in that spot so they get a sense of that blocking so then, then they'll know how to be around that person and they'll know how that person comes in and out and they can kind of be a, a spotter for them or whatever so really helping actors understand how you pass that baton and that really just because you got the 10 lines doesn't mean you hold the, the show in your hands you require everyone else around you to react or your 10 lines will look like nothing you know when you played the witch if we all just were like yes yeah, the witch and we didn't react to you you could be as loud and big and as frustrated and angry as you wanted to be, and you would never have conveyed it because all the other actors you know, would just stand there and not give you yeah. that space. <laughs> that would have been really so, awful, actually. Yeah, like, God, it would have been worse. <laughs> yeah, so we require everyone. You can think, oh, I'm the lead, but you're not the lead without a cast. You, you will never matter until the people around you recommit to reacting to what you're doing. So I'd love to teach these principles because in life, we try to hierarchy the world around us. And we do this sometimes in theater. And I really chase people to be careful because that's not exactly the truth, right? You know, the the lead without the right uh, sound cues and without the right lighting and things won't look so great, right? You're going to need that person to turn the lights on. So you better humble yourself to realize you can be the best singer, actor. You can give the best soliloquy and in darkness, it will have less impact <laughs> you know Pretty only be your voice you better be ready 
So it was just a beautiful way to teach young people about the fact that even though someone might be in a position where they're notably taking a leadership role, they can't move anywhere without some kind of um, response of the people around them. And, you know, the same thing goes in government. Your leader can't move if, if the people around won't offer some type of support or petitioning or whatever needs to happen to leverage the movement. Right. I think it's great life learning and I don't know where else and I don't want to be biased, but I don't know what other model can work so well to keep having these conversations about, hey, I just want you to think of that connection, you know, and I noticed that you seem to kind of just leave the scene and didn't notice anyone around you and kind of think you want to make sure that they're with you. You need to know that you're feeling good about what's going on and that you're not just deciding on behalf of everyone what's going to happen. It's collaborative. That's your story, but you're not the only one telling it. And usually what you can discover in most shows is the leads, especially familiar shows. The leads are not what the audience wants to spend most of their energy watching because they kind of know what the lead's going to say. If it's a familiar show, they know what the line's going to say. They're more interested in what the, you know, the background people are doing interaction with the line because they already have an impression of that. So they'll scan past the lead much faster than they will the background dancers and everything like that because that's new and different and interesting. Oh yeah, the line singing King in the Forest. Okay, I've heard it before. No, he's not doing it quite the same. So you almost can get distracted based on your perception. So the leads don't have the same, in my opinion, they don't have the same ability to convey the energy of the show as a lot of the extras do. So that's been my experience. We could debate on that, I'm sure, for a little while. But knowing that is that beauty too, because I think of organized sports and I just, I don't always know that you can have that same, you know, there are certain sports that if you can hit a home run every time you're at plate, you could actually win the game for the team, right? Because you can get all the runs in. And so you kind of didn't need everyone. You had actually, you got this little loophole, you know, uh, but then there's sports that you can't get anywhere, you know, without the whole team, like football or whatever. So we could probably debate that sports has some of those dynamics, but I find sports, unless you make it to the Super Bowl or whatever the big one is, you don't actually get that feeling of the performance, right? Because sports, you move and you move, but you don't have that one thing you're going for, unless again, you get the final tournament. Most of the time you miss out on that. So you have to regroup. With theater, you always get the final, yeah. the final kind of performance, the big show, what you've all been working for kind of moment. And I think that's an important moment because that's yeah. the moment you step away and realize what you've accomplished. You know what I mean? Like a team, if you fail to get to the end of whatever you perceived as the highest goal of your division, then you don't always walk away feeling like you achieved anything. Sometimes there's a great sense of failure. So I like theater because we kind of guarantee that sometimes we can't put the show on. Think of COVID. So that, that can hurt. But for the most part, we are going to make it to that final line. And maybe it's not the show we thought it was going to be, but we still get there and we can still usually hold on to something. I just kind of live for how that expresses itself in young people's lives. I usually would tell the young people my favorite moment, and there's many moments I love working with young people, but directing them and taking them to that tough space and making them be vulnerable on stage and take risks and in safe spaces. Because when we rehearse, I would keep pushing and say, let's just keep trying. And yeah, you, you're right. It's not landing. You're, you're missing that note. But if you keep at this, it's okay to fail right now. It's okay to just keep belting and seeing what your voice can do when we don't even make 
make an attempt, we don't know what's going to happen. And I can't let, and I would say to them, and unless you will take this vulnerable space, I can't let you on stage because that's the place I never want you fully vulnerable, be vulnerable because you have all that audience and that's going to be hard for social feedback. But we're here and we're going to rally around you because you're not the only one struggling to hit the note, yeah. right? So there's like, but a safe space to fail. Let's just keep failing until we learn about what that failure is. And maybe the outcome is to, to rejig the experience. Maybe we realize that isn't going to be something we can get this time around. That's okay too, because we, we made a conscious choice and we're very mindful of how in theater, we actually have this ability to razzle dazzle. I used to say, if you're smiling and having the time of your life, there's nobody in the audience that knows anything different because yeah. they didn't go to the choreo, you That's know, uh, such a good rehearsal. Point. Yeah. Have no one do that. But if you look doubtful or you pull back, yeah, it's not that they it. actually are even, uh, you know, like laughing at you or anything. Most of the time, most audiences, they feel for you. And you don't want to put an audience in that empathetic mm -hmm. state. You want them to just feel like, Entertain. I to pull that off. I think the young people, there was never an instance that I didn't feel that when they would get to stage, that they played, like were able to, to razzle dazzle beyond what concerns or self-doubt or whatever was in them. And I think they would know it. So my favorite moment that I was kind of getting to that I would live for, because we would spend three months of their whole summer and we intentionally booked the show right after the second week that school started, because I believe in having overlapping transitions, because when you're going to school and you don't get the teacher you want and your friends aren't in your science lab, those first few weeks give you this sense of despair and they can really set you up for a very rough start and starts matter. So I love keeping them together so they still had, but I have theater Tuesday night. Sometimes we would have theater rehearsal right on the first day of school. A lot of times because we would do a Tuesday night rehearsal, it just seemed to work with our scheduling. And so we would debrief and decompress like what was day one like? And they would be able to kind of talk that through. And it was incredibly intentional. They thought they were at rehearsal. I would say to the all of the uh, team, we're not rehearsing anything tonight. They're going to be whooped, right? Because they've been on summer schedules. They have not been sleeping properly. And I would even say to parents, I understand you might want to pull them back and say, let's keep them home because it's been a long day. Yeah. And I will respect that. If you need to do that, I'm going to trust your judgment. But I want to challenge you how important this is for them. And also know we respect that. You know, we're not going to push them and, and we're going to do our top uh, dance routines and stuff. So they're so exhausted that the week becomes that much more complex. But what we find is a re-energization after you can see them, they, they kind of their demeanor and everything's changed. We've been working three months and then they're in, in zombies. And it's just because life has shifted. But then we can reconnect and say, well, you know what, is, is there anyone else in our acting program? Because we had all schools represented that, you know, might be having a similar experience and they can talk it out safely because they don't have to worry that tomorrow when I go back to school, oh. somebody's going to out me that I don't like my teacher or that I'm angry with my mm -hmm. best friend or because they didn't come to lunch with me and I was expecting that. So they have these safer people that don't know their whole story, but can relate because like I'm 12 years old too. Like I know what this feels like. <laughs> Right. And we just let them decompress. And a lot of beautiful moments where they're like grade eights going into grade nine would be like, I went there and I remember so and so from last year in Act Two and then the other person from Act Two and this person from Act And it's like, I already have people because I know people, whether or not they were friendships or like deep, meaningful friendships, that's still there's resilience again because you think if all else fails, I can go find my person and get through the day. But then we would have this performance still coming up. So your first weeks of school before you're starting to get into testing and all of that stuff, you have this thing to look forward to so school might you know a lot of young people struggle in getting started into school it's a really tough routine
team tends to put you in situations you're not comfortable with, a lot of unknowns, a lot of fears, but they still had their performance. So we intentionally would throw it there and spend these three months, but I would watch and work, work, work. And I was always volunteering, which I was happy to do, but people would say that's so much work because we did counseling programming. We did everything to support this. And I probably worked harder in my summer sometimes than I worked in my like school year my regular paid position, but it was so worth it. And I said, what I would live for is the moment. And I, I would watch for it every time. And consistently, I felt I always saw it. Maybe it was just because I anticipated it and I would always play it out and make it bigger than it was. But I always thought that moment where the young person moved to the front of the stage and the audience would be applauding. And we always had such generous audiences because I think they really saw we tried to showcase talent. So they were just kind of like, I didn't expect young people to be able to do this, but they also didn't know we worked so hard. Yeah. I'm a firm believer that hard work is how you have a feeling of success and that empowerment, like you overcame. So I'm not the director that's like, okay, that's close enough. <laughs> I'm always like, what else can we do? How can we go farther? How can we go deeper? Until you see that, that kind of resistance where the pushback of like, I'm so doubtful now. And then you just kind of soften and go, this is great, right? That's the space of encouragement. But I don't believe in encouragement out of the gate because usually we're not giving our most vulnerable performance yet. So I'm always like, poke, 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 however I can until I start to see the distress because it will eventually, there is a threshold where it's like, if you keep asking me to do that, I'm going to want to quit. And that's usually where I'm like, you know what? I'm just rethinking things here. <laughs> you know, let me just kind of tweak my approach because I actually like that you're not doing that part. I think we're at, this is going to be a lot better if we just do this instead of that. You know what? I love that you really reinterpret. I'm realizing I took you to your limit and I've got to stop asking. But I will ask until I see that little space. So they work so hard, work so hard, and they walk to the front of that stage and the audience is showing all their appreciation and they have earned it all in my opinion and they deserve it all all of that accolade i see in their eyes a, an expression that i perceive they finally believe for one brief moment what i believe about them and how incredible they are and that moment of the applause and then i feel it because a lot of young people don't feel that very much and then they bow and it seems like right after that, the self-doubt probably floats back. Really? But I think there's this moment where I'm still here and they're still applauding. I'm here and this is real. Like this is a moment and it's just this is scene that floods into them that we are trying to, you know, I'm trying to always hand them every day. You can only accept so much esteem from others before you become like, eh, that's what Richard says because he's just nice. He's paid to be that way. <laughs> you know, he's one of those counselor type people. <laughs> Right? It becomes sort of inauthentic. And it's not, I believe it. I can't always convey it because you're going to, you're going to always buffer it based on your perception. And if you're not hearing it from others, if I'm the only guy saying, you are amazing, you are a great actor for the first little while, oh, he's half famous. Like, so this matters. And then eventually it's like, he's not really that famous because I heard another show he did. My mom saw it was pathetic, you know, or whatever. <laughs> like other, you know, other stories kind of trickle out there because they go off and say, I'm working with the famous director or whatever it might be. So anyway, that's been my journey and my experience and working with young people and then having that chance to direct. And because I was doing that, eventually Theodore Sarnia said, hey, would you consider directing? And I said, absolutely. But I'm, I'm maybe hard to get along with because I've been directing a long time. And the standard was that you did a one act and stuff. And I said, I hate to be the rogue guy, but I don't know how to go back there because I have other experiences. So it's totally 
totally okay if you never let me direct or whatever. I respect that. But if you're able to look at my other work, then I'm kind of great with that. It's weird. Like, I just don't know how to go back to this one act and having like a, a mentor. And I said, I'm probably not user friendly enough. And eventually they chatted with one another and said, well, let's give it a try. And I'm like, okay. But I really thought, you know, is there another way to write a resume to show that you, you know, maybe have enough chops, so to speak, to direct. I get why it's a vulnerable thing to just let a brand new director take on a show because there's money and costing behind that, right? So there's a financial concern and potential financial risk. But I did Sound of Music because I knew it would market itself. That moment, directors were sort of being asked to market their shows or make sure that they were organizing that in their team. And I said, that's the thing that drains me. So I'm picking a show that markets itself. Yeah. And But uh, unfortunately, over time, I think I'm known as the guy that just mar- loves the shows that are like Disney driven and stuff. And I'm like, well, I actually have a lot more doubt and that's not exactly who I am, but that tends to be what I've done a lot of because young people, to engage them, they do really well getting to perform something they've seen because, again, they can take some risks. They practice through emulation first in that first journey, but there's more engagement to get to be aerial in, you know, all of the different, you know, Disney princesses and all of that stuff, which I don't think are the greatest roles to, you know, aspire to, but they're great roles to learn from. Because there's lots of examples of them and you can kind of test things and try things. And and I think as actors, we usually start by emulation and then we go to that like more discovery about what does this mean and who do I want to be like with the line by that point. You know, that was the last character that I've done and I've done a number of characters, but I intentionally was like, I'm not watching Wizard of Oz. I do not want to be tempted because this is an iconic character. And when I see it, I might start thinking like, I need to do that part because that part is what everybody will want. And so it's been enough separation of me not seeing the show or the movie for quite a while that I actually couldn't land on. I had some assumptions and I think some of those things did come through in my character because they would be in memory spaces. Mm -hmm. But they were never intentional. So if they showed up, they showed up from another part of how my memory interpreted them, which I think is more authentic. That's fun to me uh, as a mature actor. But when I first started, it was 100% emulation. (laughs) I got to get through here and I'm just going to look to the actor I think is the best representation of this role. But I think that's a great journey. I love when young people try on hats and try on scripts and try on masks. And right, I think that's how we develop. Honestly, I think theater is like the most perfect place to see and where young people struggle with identity and we notice this a lot in all types of identity not just gender and and sexual identity that gets talked the most about it seems lately and maybe i'm wrong uh, but that's what i tend to hear a lot of conversation on there's so many other forms of identity right like what is your role as a contributor in society are you you know are you a helper are you a giver are you a, a developer of sorts are you an entrepreneur like like what is that drive inside of you for creating some type of life that I think we have to try things on. We discover new ideas. We discover new occupations as actors, right? Because you actually have to think about, well, who is my character and what did they do and how did they get here and and that kind of stuff. So I could, again, I better pause. I'll fill all the spaces if you'd like me to. (laughs) This is brilliant. All I can keep thinking is how much I would have loved act two when I was a kid, because I certainly had all of those same struggles that you're talking about and something like that, that would have filled the summer and help bridge that gap into the school year. I think that I wish that I would have had something like that. It's absolutely lovely. Um, One thing I do have to ask is the background wherever you are is absolutely yes. stunning. Can you explain where you're I sure hanging out? So I'm, I'm sitting in my in my dining room area, actually. Are you and really? 
And this is a triptych that Carissa painted because she Get actually you probably are aware that she, you know, studied fine arts and things like oh, that. So wow. she's a painter, she's a, you know, all different fine arts. And uh, that's why she loves her costuming and stuff. But And she's painted some of our sets on stage um, or helped in them parts of it as well. So this is actually an interpretation of uh, San Juan, Puerto Rico. This is, you know, how the, a lot of forts and stuff. So this would be one of the turrets where a soldier might be watching the water area, but she just did it in in kind of a, a very contemporary, I guess, approach. She probably had a way better description, but this is representing water. And then here's the cityscape and then the mountains. And we just love San Juan every time we go. She snapped a picture of one of our favorite kind of vantage points and then interpreted it um, into a painting. And yeah, this is like this beautiful um, flowering vine that hangs over and kind of drapes all down the old walls. But oh it's, my goodness. Yeah. Just picked my jaw up off the floor. <laughs> it's absolutely stunning. I can't yeah. even believe it. I To draw a stick figure is far as I could go. So art always catches my eye. And yeah, yeah that's absolutely it's stunning. It's an original piece. And Carissa doesn't let me ha hang too much of her original work in her space. And I get, you know, it's not always easy to live in your creations because you might see its flaws. I see perfection. I reached out to her for an interview too, and she said that she'd be no good at it, which I don't believe for a second. So if you feel like yeah. wearing her down a little bit, Weird. I'm cool with that. <laughs> um, but I certainly don't want to pressure her in, in any, but I definitely yeah. think that she'd be fascinating to talk oh, yeah. to. She's incredibly fascinating, but she would probably want a lot more prompts, right? And I'm not a person that needs too many prompts but i will respect prompts that's why i keep pausing every now and then to say if you want to zig another way i'll zig and zag with you and uh, and probably by now you maybe have more than enough too so it's uh, kind of crazy because i have my little notepad and i don't know i try to be super incognito about it yes, but, I, but i keep scribbling questions and then i kid you not i scribble it down and you answer it so <laughs> i was like oh okay like i feel like i should have had popcorn and i could have just <laughs> sat and listened to you tell me so many different things you have a, a talent for answering the question while also weaving additional tales in because you mentioned theater and children and i was going to circle yeah. back and talk about that but then you kind of deviated and were able to so yeah i mean i have more than enough material that's awesome and about like two three minutes after this my computer died so uh Tune in next time.